0: I believe I do have a word for you, the great exchange. So I was ministering to somebody at a car wash, and he asked me a question, and the question really said something to me. He asked me basically in short, how do I stop worrying? How do I stop thinking about those things? He says, that noise in my head, I cannot switch it off. How do I do that? And we heard the testimony. We heard Lorraine speaking when she's on her own, alone. That's when the noise is its loudest. Ivor, probably when you were laying in your bed, alone, the noise, it is the loudest when we are alone. It is fine when we're in a corporate situation. You have people around you praising and worshiping God. But when you're alone, how do we deal with it? So I thought I'd need to lay down a foundation first And uh, just to start off with, so when we think of sin or guilt, I think quite often for us, we have this idea, we imagine that it is this abstract concept that has an impact on our spirit, our emotions, and on our souls. We think of it in abstract terms. But the Hebrews, the ancient people, had a bit more concrete idea behind it. So we can actually see, when we look in Genesis 4, Cain has brought an offering, and his offering was not accepted. Now his face was long. He was now not happy. And God then speaks to him. And we see God actually warns him about sin, the impact that sin can have on him. And then he kills Abel. And God now speaks a curse. Now remember, Cain was a tiller of the ground. God now curses the ground, and he says, the ground will not deliver its fruit for you. And he says, you will not settle down. You will be wandering. You will go to the land of Nod, which just means wandering. So you will not settle down, and the land will not deliver its fruit for you. Now we think, somehow, when we read that when God asks Cain, where is Abel, that there's no remorse in his reply, because he says, am I my brother's keeper? Somehow, mockingly, a few verses before that, it says, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Now, Cain says, am I his keeper? You know, somewhat mockingly. And don't, we don't see him remorse there. But then, Genesis 4, verse 13, we see that Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than what I can bear. So, the word punishment there, and in Hebrew... We have the word, and I'm going to mention this word a couple of times. We have this word, and I'm going to write it out like this. Avon. And that's the word that is translated as punishment. But punishment is not the ideal translation there. The Hebrew word for punishment is Ornish, and there's another one that is chatei, which also means punishment. Avon rather should have been translated with sin or guilt. So if he had now said, my guilt is greater than what I can bear, we see some remorse. He's saying, this is too heavy for me. And this is actually the picture that we have in the Hebrew. He's saying, this guilt is too heavy for me to bear. I cannot bear this. It is much greater than what I can bear. And then he says, wherever I go, people will try and kill me. And then God responds, and he says to him, not so. And he gives him a sign. We don't know what the sign is. The Hebrew does not tell us. It only tells us that he gave him a sign. However, there's good speculation. Out of the 22 letters in the Hebrew olive bed, there's actually one that is called the sign. It is the last one, and it looks like that. So God gives him a sign, and it is my belief that the sign that God gave him addresses the fact that the burden is so heavy that he cannot bear it. So I want to make a statement here. Sin is a heavy burden. Anybody disagree? You can try and convince me, but if I agree with you, then we'll both be wrong. So I'm just saying sin is heavy. It is extremely heavy. Now, let us have a look in Exodus. We know that Moses has to now take the Israelites out of Egypt, and he's now speaking with Pharaoh Plague after plague after plague. We actually see in Exodus 12, verse 12, and I think it is repeated in Numbers 33, verse 4. God says that these plagues were brought upon Egypt because that is the way that God judged the gods of Egypt. So this is a, almost a power play, a power show between our God, the God of the Hebrews, and the Egyptian gods. Now, on the eighth plague, something interesting happens, and I don't want to go too much into this, and I think somebody would be offended if I actually do something, but let me just clarify this. If I had to write the name Satan on the board, would that offend you? That's not offensive. So if I write now the name of any other God, would that offend you? Probably not. I was just checking because I don't know. Some people get offended just because I read the Bible. So the eighth plague was the locust. And the Bible says that the locust covered the face of the earth. The Hebrew word for face is panim. The word that is used there is Aen. Aen is the eye. Because it covered the eye of the land. Interesting. If you all can read Egyptian hieroglyphs, I presume. So I'm going to write down the Egyptian hieroglyph and you tell me what this is. Because I know that you all know this very well. You are well taught. Okay, you can read that. That is Ra. It is the upper god of the Egyptians. It is the sun god. It is the all-seeing god. So with Locust, God covers his eye. So that he cannot see what is going to happen. They have another god whose image is just inverted. It's just left to right flipped. He's God, Thoth, because he's the clever God. He is the prophet God. He's the God of the moon. And his eyes were closed. He could not see what was happening. So it's just God playing with these other gods, telling them that they cannot do anything. Now, when the locust comes, we can have a look at Exodus 10, verse 17. Pharaoh now calls out, the verse just before that he actually rushes towards Moses and Aaron, and he says, Now therefore, you see there, he makes haste. He says, Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron in haste, because he wants to get rid of this quickly. So next verse he says, Now therefore forgive my sin. Again, the translation is not excellent, excellent here. And, and the word forgive, the Hebrew word there, and this is not the American agency, It is nasa. So nasa means, it can be implied to mean forgive. But nasa means to lift up, to carry, and to take away. If my guilt is being lifted up and carried away, it equates to forgiveness. But forgiveness, nasa, should be understood that there's a lifting up. There's a bearing up. carrying. So what he's saying there is, lift up my sin, I pray you this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may remove from me this plague of death. So the wages of sin is death. The weight of the sin is going to kill him. He asks them, please lift it up. Please take it up. I cannot take this anymore. Now, there's four aspects of atonement that I want to deal with. And I might seem like I'm just jumping a bit, but I want to talk about it because we're talking about Nassau, we're talking about the lifting up and carrying away of the guilt, we're talking about the heavy burden. Now, these terms, typical church speak, we talk that way. So I was thinking, how do I give an illustration that you could understand these things? And the thought came up to my mind. So I'm carrying this flask of chemical, let's call it an ink and I'm walking into a wealthy person's home, and there's this Persian carpet, and I spill it. Now it's there on the carpet. Of course it's my responsibility to get it out. It must be. I mean, who else is going to get it out? But I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to make it a bigger mess if I try and remove this. So I'm not concerned. So I quickly find out from the butler... Who's the manufacturer of this carpet? Get him on the line. And I call the guy and I say to him, look, I've got this chemical, this ink. This is what it consists of. I spilled it on the carpet. How do I take it out? And he says to me, don't touch it. Do not even rub anything on it. I'm sending my specialist. He's an expert in removing these stains. He's going to come and have a look at it. He's going to determine what to do. Within a few minutes, the guy is there. He looks at it and he says, this is going to cost. This is an expensive mess that you've made. But it can be done. And he gives me a quote. So I'm thinking, okay, it doesn't matter. I'm in more trouble now. So I give him the go ahead and I say, please, just do it. So he removes the stain. He determined the price, the cost. I agreed that it can be paid. And he removes it. Now, the removal of it, that's redemption. The fact that there's no more stain is my justification. Because you cannot prove that I caused the stain. Sanctification. The butler now puts me on a course how to walk over a Persian carpet with a chemical <laughs> so that I do not do this again. That is the process of sanctification, it's not a single incident. And I'm sanctified. Yes, I am sanctified at that moment. But sanctification takes time. It is a continuous walk. Now comes the difficult part, the part that Pharaoh asked for. Somebody paid that price. I owe that person a lot of money. So now I go to that person and I say, Sir, how do I pay you back? And he says, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me a cent. You've been pardoned of the debt. That is forgiveness. Who forgave me? Was it the butler or the one who paid the price? The one who paid the price is the one that can forgive. So only God can forgive because he paid the price. Pharaoh was asking for forgiveness, but he was asking for the sin, the weight of the sin to be lifted up so that they can take it to God and plead for forgiveness. So It is not a wrong translation. I'm just saying we're losing something in the translation. Now, on the Day of Atonement, we can look at Leviticus 16.10. They had to get two goats. And, of course, the goats had to be pure, perfect, nothing wrong with them. And then the lot had to be cast. Beginning of last month, I preached a message on the Urim and the Thummim. Probably the Urim and the Thummim was used. The lot was cast to make a decision between the two goats. Right? Right? Which one will be ceremonially sacrificed? Which one will remain alive? Now, the one goat that will remain alive is the one that's going to suffer. So let's have a look at Leviticus 16, verse 21 and 22. And Aaron shall lay his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the sins or all the iniquities of Israel and their transgressions. And all their sins shall be put upon the head of the goat, the sin bearer, and send him away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is timely. In other words, a young, fit man will now take him into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon himself all the iniquities, carrying them. So we see the understanding of the ancient people was that Aaron had to put both his hands on his head to transfer the weight of the sin. On his head. And then he has to carry that into the wilderness. He has to be led by a young, fit man into the wilderness. Why a young, fit man? Because it should not be an old man who takes him to the first tree and then comes back, because then everybody can still see the goat. He has to take him so far away that they cannot see the sin anymore. Why? I'll get to that now. So the Hebrew word for goat is shair. So there's probably four thoughts that come from this word. So I'm just going to write the the Hebrew word shair. It's written from this side. So it could be with an S or a sh sound. The A-N is a dash. If I say, oh, oh, I stop glutterally, oh, and then stop, and then oh, that is what this sounds like. It's shair. So that is the ir sound. So we can have it like that. We can have an E in front of it. But the vowel pointings could be sha'ar. So if it is sha'ar, it means a split or a gate. If it is sha'ir, it means a whirlwind or a storm. Sorry, that is sha'ar. That is a whirlwind or a storm. Sha'ir means hairy or a goat. How do I bring these white thoughts? I mean, from a split, a gate, A whirlwind and a storm, something that is hairy and a goat. It comes from one thing, so there must be a root that means exactly the same. I have a whole talk on that, so I'll cut it short for you. It relates to your understanding. So a whirlwind and a storm is an emotional thing. It points to the emotional whirlwind and the storm in your mind. A gate or a cutting. The old men in the city sat in the gate, of the city. That's where all transactions were concluded. That is where they remembered or recalled who bought what, what piece of land is owned by who, who is marrying who. The knowledge or the intellect of the city, the recollection of the city, sat in the gate of the city. That is why it is there. Then the hairy part. Most of us have a hairy part here, just above the skull. And the goat, Why the goat? Not because it's hairy, but because of this very thing, that the transfer of their guilt had to be on the goat. So their awareness of their sin was placed on the goat. The awareness of the sin was taken out of the camp to where they could not see their sin anymore. So their awareness of their sin was now gone. They were no longer aware of their sin, which is probably why the Satanists, use the symbol of a goat, because they bring back your awareness of your sin. So that's probably why they use the goat. So that is just a bonus. That is part of the great offering that you've given. Now, Isaiah 53, verse 4, but I think Peter quotes it in 1 Peter 2, verse 22, where he says that Jesus bore our sin. Again, the image of bearing up something, carrying something. There he says it. He personally bore our sins in his body. So he took the weight of the sin of the whole world. It is a physical weight that he carried on the... Now, look at something here. Something very interesting. Before the crucifixion, Pilate interrogated Jesus. It is what the priest had to do with the two goats. They had to find whether they're pure. Is there any fault in them, Pilate did that to Jesus. And he proclaims, I find no fault. Then he says, but you people have a custom where you let one man go. Who should I let go? This Jesus or Barabbas? Now look at this. Jesus or Barabbas? And who did they say should go free? Barabbas. Was Barabbas a sinless, guiltless person? No. Not at all. Greek grammar dictates a masculine name shall end with the letter S. Let's take away the letter S. we left with an Aramaic name, two words, Bar Abba, son of the father. So the son of the father carried the sins away, while the other son of the father was ceremonially crucified to pay for our sins. So let's have a look at Psalm 68, verse 19, and verse 21. It's going to come up in the Amplified, but I've been correcting the Amplified all morning long, so I'm going to stop with that. I'm going to rather read out of the literal version. So it says, Blessed be the Lord, and you can follow there, that is the same. Day by day, He carries a load for us. The God of salvation. Now, He carries a load for us day by day. So he's got the sin on him day by day. Let's look at verse 21. He says, Yea, God will crush the head of his enemy. The hairy crown, this hairy crown of him who walks in his own guilt. The scapegoat. The one, the hairy crown, the goat, the shair. Our awareness of our sin, he's going to crush that portion. Now, Jesus paid the price. I've gone through the atonement. Everything is done. Now, what do we do from this point onwards? You know, Ezra painted this picture. He was prophesying and he said, In shame I have to now say this. In Ezra 9 verse 6, he says, In shame I have to now say this, my dear God. Our iniquities, our sin, our avon, our avon has risen higher than our heads. Our guilt is mounted up into the heaven. He's actually painting a picture of how much sin Israel is capable of. And he's ashamed to look at this and he says, wow, look at it. It's piled up right into heaven. In Isaiah 1 verse 13 and 14, God himself now speaks through the prophet. And I'm going to skip the first portion if if we look there close to the bottom end God is now speaking and he says I cannot endure this iniquity this avon and profanation and even your solemn meetings let's go in verse 14 and again let's look at the second part of the verse he says they're an oppressive burden to me I'm weary of bearing them so what is God saying? Yes, you've piled it up right into the heaven, and I've been carrying it, and you've been making sacrifices, and, but you don't mean it. There's no repentance. And I have just been carrying it, and I'm tired of carrying your sin for you. What a graceful God. I mean, even though the, he knows there's no repentance, he's still carrying the burden. I believe that even Cain, that's the way that Cain could survive, because the load was too heavy for him. So let's look in Jeremiah 44, verse 22. God there speaks, and he says that he can no longer endure the evil doings. He can no longer carry it. And the mental picture that I have there is God has all of these sins that he's been carrying, and he knows these people have not really repented. And he says, I'm now tired of this. And he drops that weight of sin back onto the earth. And it scatters the Israelites into captivity because now they see the results of their sins. Now, Psalm 55 verse 22, and I think Peter is applying that. He says, cast your burdens unto the Lord. Now, let's just see how Peter applies it. Remember, we're talking about sin offering. And that's what the psalmist is writing in Psalm 55 verse 22. But Peter somehow sees something different, in and he says, yes, yes, there was redemption, there's justification, sanctification, everything. Now he says, cast your whole care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your concerns, once and for all, on him. Those things are not sin. We have been justified, we've been forgiven and everything, now we go through life. Now we have a child who's not doing good at school. We have a loved one who does not serve God. We have something who feels pain under the arm, and they are thinking, joining the dots, thinking, this is the worst thing that can happen to me. We have somebody who has back pains, kidney stones, or something similar to that. And the thoughts come up, and the thoughts now multiply, and now when we are alone, on our own, these thoughts just keep on coming, 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 coming. So there's been redemption. For the sin. But is this not a weight? How much of a weight is this? Your anxieties, your worries. Now, if we could trust God with the weight of our sin, why do we think we should carry this? If he was willing to carry the burden of the whole of Israel, even though they did not repent, why will he not carry this for us? How do we stop thinking? It's one thing to say, yes, he will carry it. But how do I stop worrying? Because this is the concern. Remember, this is what I said. I'm going to try and and get to that. So there's a couple of ways that we could do that. And I'm not exactly saying it's only these ways. There are more than that. But one of the things that we need to do is somehow come to the point where we're going to say, I'm not going to carry this on my own. James 4, and it's probably mistranslating the verse, but James 4 verse 6, and it is also in 1 Peter 5 verse 5, he basically says this, that God resists the proud. I think if we think I can carry this burden of my anxieties, my care, if I think I can bear this myself, I'm being proud. I should humble myself. I should say, God... I do not want to be the one who carries this. I'm too proud. It's out of pride that I'm trying to carry this. And we should not be proud. We should not say, I'm strong enough. I can handle this. I'm a man. And you know, this doesn't bother me. The fact that they've threatened to fire me, bring it on. No, why? I mean, don't be concerned about it. But how do we deal with this? So one way is exactly... What we've heard people say this morning, the testimonies that have gone out, we quote scriptures. So we can look at Matthew 11, verse 28. We could look at many, many other scriptures. Come to me, all who labor on our heavy burden and overburden, I will give you rest. So the moment that you feel this anxiety, this care building up, this is what we can do. We can quote it. Romans 8, verse 31 says, what shall we then say about these things if God is for us, who can be against us? Psalm 56, verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7 says that we should never worry about anything. Instead, every situation, we should let our petitions be known to God through prayers and petition and with thanksgiving. So, prayers. You're alone there in your bed, you're alone facing these concerns. We can pray. We can quote scripture. Now, it's fine if you do not have the vast library of scriptures to pull from, but you can understand that the consequences when you face an issue now, you do not have that library to pull from. Another way that we can do it is with thanksgiving. We can thank God for the good things that He has done in our lives. Everything that has been great, and awesome that we've received from Him, the health that we have had in the past, the financial contributions that we have had, that we've seen God do for us. We can thank Him for it. And then praise and worship. We can use praise and worship. You know, Bethel is known for its praise and worship. And Bill Johnson probably has the most teaching right now on praise and worship. And Maurice and I have been speaking, and he mentioned to me on uh, Friday that Bill Johnson equates... Praise and worship, like building a wall of defense around you. During the time of praise and worship, you have this wall of defense around you. So when you're in praise and worship, then it is the righteous who runs into the strong tower, and he is saved. But what if your praise and worship stops? Then this defense comes down again. So the important thing is this. We should meditate on the Scriptures we should be ready to praise and worship. We should be ready to pray. But what if we don't know what to pray? That is why he gives us the tongues, so that we can pray in the spirit. And we can break down these defenses. We can get rid of all these problems. You know, when we, I grew up in the 70s, believe it or not, 60s and 70s. And we had a lot of hymns that we sang. And those hymns were simple. Some of them had five words and a simple rhythm. Very, very, very simple, but very prophetic. Very powerful. I was thinking last week, most of the time, I was thinking about this one that says, He's all I need. Do you remember that? He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. He's all I need. You can personalize it. You're all I need. Jesus, you're all I need. I mean, that you can take with you and wherever you are. And unfortunately, there's been this culture of writing more complex songs because people are not satisfied with the simple things in life. We want it to have. A bit more oomph and a bit more of that, and a bit, and the musicians can show off their talent. But those of us who are not talented, we struggle with it. We cannot remember them. We cannot memorize them. And these simple things are the things that we can hold on to. In the turn of the 19th century, there was this rabbi who prayed a prayer. And that brings me to the great exchange. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak prayed this prayer. He said, God, creator of the universe, You have a lot of forgiveness, but we, we have a lot of sin. So I'm suggesting an exchange. We give you our sin, you give us your forgiveness. And if you should say, it's not a fair trade, I will reply, what else are you going to do with your forgiveness? And right there is the wisdom. You see, God has grace, He has forgiveness, He has cares, and He's waiting for the great exchange. And while Andrew is getting the song ready, I want you to now sit and bow your head and just think about the case that you have not yet given to Jesus and how you can address it. And we listen to the words of this song. What are we going to do about those case? How are we going to address those case?
1: Speak the name of Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness.
0: Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you with that this week. This is something that we have to practice. Is that when the care, when the anxiety, when the issues fill your mind, is that we can speak Jesus. We can sing a song of praise and worship to Him. We can quote Scripture to Him and let Him carry the burden. You know what 1 Peter 5 07 does not say? Elevate your cares and your burdens because God can do nothing about it. It says, cast it. Cast it onto Jesus. There's a truth in the fact that we have to cast it rather than elevate it. If you elevate any of your problems, you're raising it above your own authority. You're making yourself powerless to that issue. And that's not what God wants. He does not want you to elevate it. He wants you to cast it down. Cast it down. This is how we will overcome this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.